If you would remain standing and take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Samuel 7, we'll begin at verse 1 and read this evening through verse 17. And now the Word of God, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us, so let us pay close attention. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Wouldn't you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day that I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved and with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday evening, we looked at 2 Samuel 6, and we saw 
the ark was brought to Jerusalem. Now we saw last Sunday evening, the first time there was no success in bringing the ark to Jerusalem. There was the anger of God as he judged Uzzah for reaching out and touching the ark and struck him dead. And so some time before David got the courage again to bring the ark, but he eventually did bring the ark to Jerusalem. And as he did so, he went before the ark and he danced and he praised God, God's mercy and goodness to all of Israel. Michael, his wife, the daughter of Saul, chastised the king for his inappropriate dancing. And we read at the end of chapter 6 that Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. And tonight we come and we hear about God's covenant with, with David. We know that the ark is now in David's care. It is in Jerusalem. And not only is the ark in David's care, but the ark is also David's joy. And so David has a plan. That plan is to build a house for Jehovah in order to place the ark in that house. Now, now we know, do we not, that God is a spirit and does not have a body like men. So why build him a house? Well, one reason would be to remind Israel that God was in the midst of them. They would have that visible representation of, of his presence, that he is their God, and that Israel truly was at this moment God's people. And so David had a good desire to build God a house. But we see that God had a different plan. And his plan went beyond a house, a physical house. It went beyond that physical house that David wanted to build. And God enters into a covenant with David that no, David will not build him a house, but God will build his house, David's house. Now what is this covenant we hear about tonight? Well, it's a further revelation of God's covenant of grace. Now when is the first time we hear of God's covenant grace? Well, way back in Genesis 3 when God entered into that covenant with, with Adam and, and, and Eve, our, our first parents, as he showed them the beauty of that covenant and the death of that animal that would cover their sins and clothe them with the, the skins of that animal and, and pronounce to them the, the need of, of a sacrifice for forgiveness. We know it was also revealed to Noah. To Moses as well. And now here to, to David. O. Palmer Robertson said this. Uh, concerning the Davidic covenant. He said in the Davidic covenant. God's purposes to redeem a people to himself. Reach their climatic stage of realization. So far as the Old Testament is concerned. Under David the kingdom arrives. God formally establishes the manner by which he shall rule. Among his people. Prior to this point, God certainly had manifested himself as the Lord of the covenant. But now God openly situates his throne in a single locality. 
Rather than ruling from a mobile sanctuary, God reigns from Mount Zion in Jerusalem. In a climactic sense, it may be said that under David, the kingdom has come. Now over the next few weeks, as we continue on in 2 Samuel, we will see how this part of David's life is the climactic part. Because in a few chapters, we will see David committing great sin with Bathsheba and and how from that moment on, things went downhill for David. But tonight, we see God entering into this covenant with David. There are two things I want us to see. And I want us to begin with David's desire. And we see that desire in verses 1 through 3. And let me just say it was a good desire. It was a good thing that David wanted to build God a house. Notice when this desire came about. We read of it in verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. Now this speaks of a a military rest. For a, a moment, for a time, David was not going off fighting. There was peace in the kingdom. There was peace for David. God gave him rest from his surrounding enemies, all his surrounding enemies. Now, David had not been long at rest. David's rest would not be for that long. But at this moment, there is calm. There is peace. And there is David in his house that we heard about being, that was built for him last week. And, and notice what he says in, in verse 2 to Nathan the prophet. See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. This does not seem right to David. How could he dwell in this nice wood house made of of the finest of wood, cedar? And there in the tent is the ark uh, of God. And so he had this desire. Now, part of that desire was based on thankfulness to the Lord. We saw David's thankfulness last week. We saw it in the way that he danced as he praised the Lord. And another part of this was on making a good use of the rest that God gave him. To do something for for God. And, And David was uneasy because he had not found a place for the ark and and if he, he could take no pleasure at all if there is no place for the ark other than the tent. And so as he went to Nathan, and David was right in going to Nathan, Nathan is a prophet. And in saying this to Nathan, he is really inquiring, should he do this or not? And Nathan said to the king in verse 3, go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now notice what Nathan does not do. He does not go and consult God. He doesn't pray to the Lord, asking the Lord if this uh, should be done, but he does give David permission. As one commentator states, Nathan did not speak this in God's name, but from himself, not as a prophet, but as as a wise and good man. Nathan agreed with David that this desire is good. So go and do it. Go and do what your heart desires. 
And then the rest of our chapter deals with God's word to David. God speaks in response. Now, now notice, David did not go to the Lord with this either. David did not pray, God, should I do this? He did not inquire of Nathan in that way, but the Lord knew, didn't he? The Lord knew exactly what was said. The Lord knew exactly what trans, transpired. The Lord sees and knows all things that happen upon this earth. And so it is God himself who, who, who takes the initiative and he appears to, or comes and he speaks to Nathan. Now keep that in mind. God took the initiative to make a covenant with David. It wasn't the other way around. God took the initiative in the garden to make that covenant with our first parents, to make it with Noah and Moses, to reiterate this great covenant of grace in Jeremiah 31 as we see that final revelation of it in the Old Testament. And we see what it is all about having a new heart given to us by God. And so we see that our salvation from beginning to end is, is the work of God. He took the initiative. He took the initiative when he chose us from before the foundation of the world. So God comes uh, with his word uh, to Nathan and he asks some, some questions in verse 5. He says, go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? And then God reminds Nathan as David as well, I have never lived in a house. I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. I have been moving about, he says, in a tent from place to place. And he says, oh, by the way, I didn't ask anyone ever to build me a house. God did not speak a word with any of the judges of Israel to build him a house. He did not ask him, why have you not built me a house of cedar?" God had never built a house, had a house built for him because he had a tabernacle that served him well. That tabernacle that was moved from place to place in Israel's wilderness wanderings. That tent, and what did that tent remind Israel of? The fact that this is not, was not their home and neither is it ours. And we get spoiled, don't we? We get a house and we stay in it. What if we had to move from place to place, year after year, tent to tent? It would remind us that there's something greater than this world. And that's exactly what it did for Israel. And, and no doubt that was one purpose of that tabernacle. But also God does not regard outward pomp and circumstance in, in His service. God's presence was surely with His people, even if the ark was in a tent or a temple, it was... A signify that God was with them. And so God never gave direction for anyone to build him a house. In verse 8, he reminds David of what he has done for him. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture and following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name 
like the name of the great ones of the earth. Again, who took the initiative? David or God? No, God did. God took David out of those fields. God chose David as the one who would be prince, shepherd, and king over Israel. God was the one that went before David and struck down his enemy. So at this moment in time, David had peace. And God would be the one that would make David's name great. Again, do not miss that. God is the one doing the work. God is the one making this covenant. David really doesn't have a say-so in it, does he? No. Now, we'll hear next week David's response. And his response, let me just say, is, is a prayer of gratitude and thanks. It's God doing these things. It is God that is moving. It is God that is entering into this covenant. He goes on in verse 10, And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly in the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. Do you remember the time of the judges? There was no peace, was there, for Israel? There, was, there would be peace for a while and, and then one of God's enemies would come and, and they would take uh, Israel, a portion of Israel, captive and, and Israel would see that. They would cry out to the Lord for a Savior, a Deliverer, and God would raise up a judge. That judge would deliver Israel. And then shortly thereafter, what would they do? They would go back after foreign gods and disobey God. And it was a cycle that repeated itself over and over and over again in the period of the judges. At the end, we hear these words, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That was the period of the judges. But here God is promising that he is going to make a place for Israel And they will have that place. Violent men will no longer afflict them as they have done in the past. Now we hear that. We need to be a little careful, don't we? Because there'll be those today who say, well, the physical nation of Israel still holds these promises. No, these apply to the church today. And how do we know that? Well, because we know we know our Old Testament, we know that Israel will, will continue to rebel against God. They will continue to sin. God will send them prophet after prophet after prophet, calling them back to repentance and faith. And eventually, when they, they will not repent of their sin and turn to Him in faith, He will put them out of the land. Now, He brings a remnant back, does He not? He brings a remnant back in time for the coming of Christ. And then what happens? Well, they, they reject Him as their Messiah, as their Lord. And so God hasn't forgotten his, his promises to Israel. We will hear that later because this covenant goes beyond David. It goes beyond the time of David, as we'll hear in, in just a little while. But they, God continues and says, I will give you rest from all of your enemies in the latter part of verse 11. And it is the Lord who will build David a house. Now, does that mean David's going to have another house of cedar? No. It is the Lord that will build David's family. 
And he will build it in such a way and raise up his kingdom that after David is dead and gone, there will always be one of David's line sitting on the throne of God. He says in verse 12, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I, shall, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, now this applies immediately to Solomon, doesn't it? Because we know it will be Solomon who will come and build God that house that David desired to build. But then he goes beyond Solomon. Because we know eventually what happens in Israel. The kingdom is split. Is torn asunder between the northern and, and southern kingdoms. But notice God says concerning David's son. That he would be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity I will discipline him with the rod of men. With the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul. Whom I put away from before you. What God is saying to David is, is that he is going to advance David's offspring to the throne. And there will always be one of David's offspring on the throne. Now again, we, we know the story, don't we? Well, we should. We know what happens. Solomon does build the Lord a house. But then Solomon, like David, his father, he goes astray. He himself has even more wives and concubines than his father David. He had all the riches in the world. He had all the wisdom. And he was led astray to falling after things that are empty. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity in Ecclesiastes. And that is Solomon writing, I believe, at the end of his life, that book of repentance in a way. And he says, I've done it all. And it's empty apart from God. It's empty apart from Christ. During the reign of Solomon, and after Solomon, Rehoboam, his son, the kingdom would be, would be split in two. And so did God keep his word? And the answer is, yes, God did discipline David's son for his sin. But God does and has established the throne of David forever. Now, how do we know this? We know that David dies, Solomon dies, the kingdom of Israel is fractured, so has God kept his word? And the answer is yes. Turn over with me to Matthew chapter 1. Here we have the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David. The son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez. And Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron. And Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab the father of Nashon. And Nashon the father of Salmon. 
and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph. And he goes on and, and pick up at verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from David, Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the de deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And so did God keep his word? Yes. Is there a descendant of David sitting upon the throne of God today? And the answer is yes, it is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this covenant that we see here tonight. Matthew Henry said this, but the establishing of his house and his throne and his kingdom forever can be applied to no other than Christ and his kingdom. David's house and kingdom have long since come to an end. It is only the Messiah's kingdom that is everlasting. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. You see, all of this pointed David to who? To Jesus. Just as it does to us tonight. In verse 17, we see that Nathan goes back and he delivers God's word. To David. Again, we will hear David's reaction, Lord willing, next week. But David cannot build the Lord a house, but God will build his. And God faithfully promises to perform to David and his descendants not just a house that will last for a year or two or five or twenty, but a house that will last forever. And so what application can we make? And again, we come back tonight, and I keep making this because it's so important for us to see this time and again. And we have seen it time and again in the Old Testament. In First and Second Samuel, it is this. God keeps His Word. If nothing else, you get, if you get nothing else, I get that. God is, God is faithful to His Word. All that God tells David in our text comes to pass. Both the promises and the threatenings come to pass. Every promise that God makes to David comes to pass. It is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Every threatening that God gave to David came to pass upon David's sons. And those threatenings are done away with in Christ. And so this should be a great assurance to us. It should cause us to trust the Word of God even more. God keeps His Word. God keeps His promises. God keeps His threatenings. Therefore, we, we should seek to what? To be obedient to God. Christian, never doubt the Word. Never doubt what God says to you in His Word. Never doubt the promises that He gives. Never doubt the threatenings that He warns us with. 
God is not like men. He keeps His word. He's not a liar. Second of all, we see, and hopefully we see and understand tonight, that Jesus Christ is David's Son, yet David's Lord. And all the promises that God made in this covenant to David are fulfilled in Christ. Again, listen to O. Palmer Robertson. He says, while God actually was manifesting His Lordship through David's line, this human monarchy was serving at the same time as a typological representation of the throne of God itself. David's reign was intended to anticipate in shadow form the reality of the Messianic Redeemer who was to unite with finality the throne of David with the throne of God. And we read that in Matthew 1 just a little bit ago, did we not? And we see the Messiah coming and He is a son of who? Son of David. But also the son of God. You see, the covenant of grace is fulfilled in Christ. Now, again, we have seen God throughout our text tonight take the initiative. And I, for one, am glad that God takes the initiative. And He doesn't leave it to me. Because I never would have taken initiative. I don't always like to take initiative and, and I would remain in my sin. But no, God is the one who came and enters into this covenant with David, who chose David to come out of the fields of being a shepherd, to be prince over his people, who chose us to come out of our sin. And that is grace. Third, David looked to his son, not Solomon, but Christ. That says, Lord, and we must do the same here tonight. You see, David understood that the Lord Jesus was not only his son, but his Lord as well. And so David looked to that one who would come, the Lord Jesus, to forgive him of his sins. And if we are to be redeemed from our sins, we must be like David. And we must look to the one who is David's son, yet David's Lord. The one who fulfills the Davidic covenant, and that is Jesus. So the Word of God is, is a unity, isn't it? It's one organic whole. The Old Testament is doing what? It is pointing us forward to that one who would come and sit on the throne of David. The Gospels, they show us the one who is sitting upon the throne of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his life and what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. And from, the, and from the Acts to the end of Revelation, we see the church growing and exploding, trusting in this one. You see, all of Scripture is about what? The coming of Christ in his first advent to die for sinners and looking forward to his coming again to take us home, as we heard of this morning. And so what is required of us to be taken home to Christ in His faith and repentance? Without Christ, we are under God's threats. And God keeps His threats. He's not like an earthly father who may threaten his son or his daughter and then never go through with it. God keeps His word. 
And apart from Christ, we are under the wrath of God. We are under that threat of wrath, not only tonight, but tomorrow and all the rest of our days until we leave this earth and we are experiencing that wrath forever. And so to escape that wrath, you look at the one who took the place for sinners. And we have a picture of that tonight in the Lord's Supper, do we not? Christian, as we come to the table tonight, be thankful. Thank God tonight that you will not experience the wrath of God because Jesus has done it for us. And it's a picture of what he has done in his death. His body given for us, his blood shed for us so that we would not have to experience the wrath of God. But if you do not know of that grace and mercy tonight, then look to Christ. Look to the one whom God has placed on his throne forever. Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. The one in whom God established the throne of David forever. May God add his blessing to the reading hearing and preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You tonight that You have established Your covenant with David. That Christ sits on Your throne here this evening. He sits at Your right hand. And Lord, we thank You that it is You who took the initiative to make this covenant with David. It is You that takes the initiative to save Your people. Now, Lord, I pray tonight for any here that if they are apart from you, that you would save them. That you would work by your spirit, work through the ministry of the word, show them their sin. Show them how they are under your threatenings. Bring them out. No, Lord God, as we come now to your table, may we do so in faith. May we do so trusting solely in Jesus and Him alone. For there is no other Savior or Lord, no other name under, upon earth by which men are saved than the name of Christ Jesus. We pray these things in His name. Amen.